Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You are now listening to Footy Prime, the podcast, hosted by Danny Dicchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. It is November the 4th. It is Footy Prime. Hope your weekend was great. Uh, a, a fun packed show today. We have a guest coming later in room 442. I won't tell you who it is just yet, but let's just say that both Deej and Craig know him very, very well. He played in the 2002 World Cup, uh, a really great career, and uh, I'm sure there'll be some some stories, some of which he'll tell us off air, some of which he'll <laughs> tell us on air, but uh, I look forward to that. Um, we'll get to a little bit of CPL, a little MLS, obviously the Premier League, but uh, before we start today, I want to quickly just remind you to follow us on all social media platforms. On Twitter, you can follow us at footy underscore prime. Instagram is Footy Prime, the podcast, as is Facebook. Uh, we're taking over social media. And, of course, as I always mention, we are open to any sponsorship you might get to give away. Still waiting for them beers. Yeah. A beer would be nice. Yeah. A beer. Yeah, we'll share one. Once upon a time, actually, at a distant land and a distant time, we had a great deal with Guinness. You got a Guinness t shirt on, I see. Yeah, I have actually, yeah. And we were given four Guinness. You're really pushing it, aren't you? Yeah. Four four Guinness. Oh, yeah, we were pumping their tires big time. Yeah. Four Guinness. Hugging the inflatable Guinness bottle, sending it out on social media. We got four beers. We told our our, our stories, Craig and I. The first time we tried Guinness, it changed our lives. Man, things we were doing. And then four Guinness, and our producer drank them all. Yeah, I never got it. Dan Fernandez. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fellas. uh, Let's get to. the stories at hand almost we almost saw a real shift in in the power structure of the Premier League this past weekend Man City and Liverpool did not put in great performances they're both losing their matches against Aston Villa and Southampton but they both scored late goals in particular Liverpool of course um they're finding ways to win aren't they late goals killers aren't they but uh are you impressed by by these performances, given what happened, Deitch, or are you a little bit concerned for their current form? I'm not concerned. I think it kind of adds to the excitement of the Premier League, Craig. Uh, I really do. I think what we're seeing this year is that there's a lot more parity, especially with the teams coming up, um, really, really doing well, especially mm-hmm. against the, the teams up the top. I mean, Sheffield United have been playing very well and getting results, but... Villa really put Liverpool to the sword at the weekend and Southampton who got that job in last week. Everyone was expecting it to be another job in, another Craig Forest special, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> they got that early goal and, and they defended well and it wasn't until two late goals. I mean, that, that Walker goal 
a couple of minutes to go. I, I didn't really see it coming, but as no. they always say, and coaches always say after games where they've just squeaked through, it shows uh, good character within the team because if you can win games when you're not playing particularly well, that's a sign of a championship team, Shams. We, we always talk about the highs of when they're playing extremely well and when the front three are buzzing and creating chances and, and scoring goals are plenty, but when they're not playing very well, and they're squeaking out results like this, that, that shows a, a test of, of real character mm. and team mentality. That's right. I mean, that Southampton performance was black and white compared to the one against Leicester. Mm. It was amazing. Even when they're playing away at City, you're under pressure. They, they close down. They're well-organized. Hasselhudo must have done a terrific job. Just, just despite, I mean, they must have been disappointed driving home, not getting something. But yeah. that reaction after losing 9-0 to Leicester... Was a, was a great reaction. They must be proud of themselves for that. Um, but they, you're right. The, the, the best teams, are just, it's incredible how that Liverpool game, I didn't see that. I didn't see them winning it. Maybe getting a draw in the end, but the way yeah. that game was going, I just did not see them getting it. And then just two terrific goals, and there you go. Bang. There was also another dubious VAR call in, in that Liverpool uh, game where... Uh, Firmino got caught offside by uh, some armpit, armpit hair. Yeah. Armpit hair or armpit? Can we get this segment sponsored? Every week there's a bloody VAR segment. Get it VAR sponsored. segment yeah. of the week. You know yeah. what? I'm, I'm for VAR. It's got a purpose, but they're not using it right. I don't think. They're not doing it in the right manner. It was for the blatant and obvious mistakes. Now, you've got one that is tight as that. Could they definitively say that as he was actually – like, it's so close – we want yeah. goals. That's not the reason why VAR. Well, the advantage in. of of offside was was giving the actual the attackers the forwards the advantage if it was that close as well, Craig. Yeah. Well, yeah, they've obviously decided. Goals, yeah. right? They've but, decided if it's offside is offside, but it's so incredibly close that that's not what people are wanting it to. No. What about the uh, the Deli Alley handball that wasn't given in the Spurs game? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was clearly a handball, wasn't it? Well, we saw, uh, I saw the replay. We saw Laporte for Man City last season, exactly the same yeah. situation where he's used, not used his hand, but it's hit his hand when it's been elevated and the referees give it. And then uh, for me, that whole game, Everton Spurs at the weekend was, was all over the place, whether it be the refereeing, whether it be the tragic incident at the end with, with Gomez, some offside calls, some goals. Being disallowed, some last-minute <laughs> equaliser from Everton. It was just an absolute shit show of a game. Um, but again, like I just think they're they're putting too much emphasis on this VAR now. There was, I think it was in the Chelsea Watford game. There was a, a VAR call that took literally three and a half minutes to actually make yeah. sense of. And yeah. If it takes that long, it's, you're it's taking more, the excitement away it, from. It isn't. If it takes that long, clearly there is clear and obvious. It's not clear and obvious, clearly. No, exactly. So therefore it shouldn't be given, right, in that case. Right. If it takes yeah. three minutes. Yeah. If it's taking someone in the studio at Stockley Park, wherever it is, that long to look at something, then it, as you say, it's not clear and obvious. We can see on the screen, it's very difficult for these referees to see in real time. But if you can see on the screen that something is not clear and obvious and you're having to rewind forward, superimpose, <laughs> zoom in, whatever it is, it's not clear and obvious. It's, you stick with a referee's decision, bang, go back to it. Yeah, Not three and a half minutes later, my bovril's gone cold by then. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm having to go back to the... It's, there was it's one stupid. in the Under-17 World Cup as well for Canada. It went on, I, I think it might have been more than three and a half minutes before mm. they figured that out. That's right. It's it's un- un- unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you think referees, if they were honest, 
that they'll admit they like it or hate it. It helps them to a certain degree. It takes pressure off them, but a lot of these guys have egos. They want to command this game and control the game and call it the way they want to call it. Sure, they want to get it right, of course, but I don't know. I don't know if they, it, it, it matters uh, to them as much as it does to the, uh, the general fan. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that it's ruining the game in a way that we didn't think it would. I actually feel sorry for the referees, and that's the first time you're going to hear me say that in my whole career. <laughs> I actually feel sorry for them because they're being put under more scrutiny now, more more pressure to, to make decisions. And mm-hmm. this this whole monitor thing where they're, they're not checking the monitor, they've been told that they can check the monitor on the sideline. None of them have checked it so far. They're actually hoping that their assistant, whoever it is in the studio, is going to help them out. But I thought the whole purpose of the assistant in the studio was to help them maybe guide them, make this decision right, to give them a little shout, look, Mm -hmm. maybe you've got that one wrong. But it seems like every decision, there's like four or five every game now. And that's that's what's really, Mm -hmm. really pissing me off at the moment, is that the game, the flow of the game is being stopped great. As well as, and it could be a situation where somebody gets hurt too, they they let things continue on because if they're not sure, they want to let it continue on. And then if it's an offside, the flag will, you know, so the the linesmen, the assistants aren't putting their flags up when they... Everyone's running scared. They're all stepping on eggshells. They don't know, they they don't want to be that center of attention in making something wrong or being told by VAR that you've got that completely wrong. I thought it was to help the referee. But it's actually, they've done a full 180 now. They've gone the other way. Saying you're getting actually a lot more wrong now. Mm-hmm. And I think there needs to be something done with either the referees association to help these referees out, to help them maybe for next year, if it's still in play, to to kind of educate them and train them better because it's not it's not being done properly at the moment. In other countries, yeah. we're seeing it done a lot more with a lot more fluidity. But in, in this country, I know it's our first year in England, it's, it's really poor at the moment you know every week i say i don't want to talk about var but it's impossible not to it's becoming the story of the season isn't it even more than leicester and sheffield united (laughs) which is a real shame though isn't it no yeah well uh, here we are no here we are once again starting the the podcast and and we we find a way to get to it it's it's difficult to avoid it right it is it's it's i don't know like I said, for a long time, I, I begrudgingly accepted it. Now I'm just sick and tired of it. You, you don't need it, this mistake. I mean, listen, last year we were bitching about poor refereeing decisions, right? This, we, we just like bitching about stuff, right? Well, if it's not VR, it'd be something else, That's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> that's life. That's it life. is, isn't it? <laughs> some good days, some bad days. Mainly bad. Yeah. Well, you know, let's speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at about 20% good. Uh, bad weekends for Villa and Southampton, actually, given what, what happened. Those late, late goals, the late goal in football, you know, adds so much drama. An otherwise crap game can be brought to life with a late goal. And we think, oh, man, the memories, that was incredible. But the previous 89 minutes were terrible. Do you have any memories specifically of, of late goals you either scored or, or conceded that just affected the rest of the weekend <laughs> or your players? Well, try to forget those ones, but oh, sure, there's several for sure over the years. Uh, we had a big comeback. I remember being 3 0 down and coming back and beating Swindon, of all teams, um, when they were actually a Premier League team <laughs> going back. A long way. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, late goals are a big, big part of it. And with the sport, you know, with not 
tons of goals being involved, you can spark off something big or disastrous in seconds. And as a goalkeeper, I used to remember just, you know, trying to keep the players in front of you concentrated and focused on, you know, finishing off games as opposed to conceding those late goals because everybody has experienced them. So, you know, you don't want to be put in a position where you, um, you're going to let a goal in because of lack of concentration. Did you ever make a mistake to concede a late goal? Oh, for sure. Somewhere down the line. <laughs> But as a goalkeeper, you're supposed to forget about those, so yeah, course, I yeah. don't remember them. <laughs> right, it's a very short memory occasionally. <laughs> I remember one actually when Harry Redknapp going. This is when Bournemouth were in the lower divisions. Uh, we played them in an FA Cup game, and uh, I remember when going over the wall. It was so easy. I read it. It was right in my hands. I'd already decided I was going to throw it before I caught it, and it went straight <laughs> oh, through my hands. Oh, no. uh, didn't, even, didn't hit the back of the net. <laughs> That's when Harry was at Bournemouth? Or? That was when he was at Bournemouth, yeah. Right. yeah. So pre-West Ham. Yeah. yeah. He still came and bought me, though, later. <laughs> You're going to say, yeah, exactly. On the cheap for, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, really cheap. That's yeah. his leverage, probably, was wasn't it? Bargain bucket. That's yeah. his leverage. Uh, yeah. my, one of my worst memories of a last-minute guy, I wouldn't say it was a last-minute, it was uh, during that infamous time of Sir Alex Ferguson, Fergie time. We were playing Man United at home, and this is a year where we were really struggling with QPR, and every point counted. We went into seven minutes of extra time at Loftus Road. I scored against Man United. I think we were 1-1 at the time. And King Eric scored a last second goal in like the 98th minute. And we got relegated that year. And I was devastated. Obviously, I support QPR. But it was a tough time for us. We were going through a little bit of transition. So Alex, uh, so Les... Ferdinand had left by then, so myself and Kevin Gannon were, were the two strikers. He was just Les top. then, though, wasn't he? He, wasn't he so was Les. just Les, yeah, big Les. But that was a devastating time for me, and 97 minutes, King Eric Cantona steps up, gets in on the end of a cross, and that really deflated us. For me, we, we got relegated later on that season, but that game was pivotal in us getting relegated that year. As a big filler, how were you used in set pieces like that? You were obviously pretty important. Oh, well, he was taking them. <laughs> Delivering them in swinging, out swinging, you, you, you name it. Right. No, he was. Uh, let me guess. You were at the far post. Far post, yeah. Back post. Yeah. You sweep everything up. Yeah. But no one was picking up King Eric that day. So. Well, why would you? So just King yeah. Eric, you know. Just volleyed it in, and that, that was a devastating, not a last minute, but a ninety-seventh minute goal. Was Fergie time a real yeah. thing for you players, or was it just a fan and media conjured? Well, I mean, myth? St- statistically speaking, maybe not with, well. It is with Alex Ferguson for sure, but teams that are losing at home get an average of a minute longer than a team winning at home when the time is added on. That's just that's just fact. So you know, over time. So did, did they actually get extra time if they were losing? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Was Old Trafford intimidating? People say it's from a from a fan perspective, it's not. No. But the fact that you played these great United teams at home, they were a different right. beast. Yeah, it was more intimidating the players than the actual fans, and they could say that the other way around for different different uh, teams internationally, like teams like El Salvador playing away or Honduras playing away. <laughs> tough, tough, uh, tough place. But uh, no, Old Trafford, not so much. Not as far as intimidation goes. They were so used to winning at that time too. That uh, yeah. you're kind of lambs to the slaughter. Yeah, at the same time, less pressure, surely, entering those games, thinking no one expects us to do anything in these games. No, that's true. Yeah, you're just trying to keep it down three or yeah. four, right, right, not nine. Right. That's why it's so hard to see it, like Old Trafford as it is right now with the, the transition oh, they're going through. It's not that difficult. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And- <laughs> Liverpool is like glowing right now, mind you. 
Still got to win the title, eh? Yeah, big game this Sunday coming up. Ooh. Man City, Liverpool. Mm. Title decider. Beautiful. Well, we know Fergie loved playing a 4-4-2, don't we? Well, now it's time for Room 4-4-2. That is what they call a segue, my friends. That is what makes me a veteran broadcaster. <laughs> oh, veteran, th- th- right. Thanks, fellas. Veteran, yeah. That's Something true. or other. Something or other. It's Room 4-4-2. We uh, invite a guest into Fergie Prime, and uh, I'm really excited about this week's guest, uh, a former England international, played at the World Cup in 2002, played at Blackpool, QPR, West Ham, Man City, Cardiff. Uh, according to his Wikipedia page, he's still playing as well. We'll ask him about that. Also happens to be a former teammate and good friend of both Craig Forrest and Danny Dicchio. It is Trevor Sinclair. Trevor, welcome Thank to Footy Prime. Thank you for having me, guys. Hey, Trevor, i got to ask you a question right out the gates. When you were playing with Deitch, you guys had a goal of the season sort of award that you guys had between your players. You all put in a few quid. And yeah. Deitch scored a worldie, and everybody paid up the bet because nobody was going to beat that to the end of the season. Deitch goes on to spend the money, and then you came up with, I have to say, as good a goal as I've ever seen anywhere. The overhead kick. Uh, well, how far out were you? 20 really yards? Planned. 24, by years. the way, by the way, Deech, you still owe me that money. <laughs> way, so. He said he paid it back. <laughs> Actually, if I do remember, Trev was a very nice man and he swayed his money. Really? Yeah. For a goal like, like that? that? It, no, the reason why, though, is probably because me and Trev went on a night out and he spent all my money that I won. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the one night. <laughs> but that, that, that story, though, is a classic story, Deech, because as you had it, you know, you were winning that that bet, so to speak, with that, that incredible goal you scored, and it was the end of the season, money being paid, and you'd spent the money. Yes. Right? And then, and then Trevor comes in against Barnsley, right, in the FA Cup, yes. and, and scored that. If you haven't seen it, we'll, we'll post it, but Google it. It's, you know, I think you just Google Trevor Sinclair bicycle kick. Yeah, it's QPR. absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the, the, the problem was, I actually meant my, my volley. <laughs> Trevor kind of slipped on a on a like wet crisp packet that day. It was a, a rainy day at, at Loftus Road, and he kind of slipped, and he had no right to even try a bicycle kick from outside the box from across. I think it was from Bards, Bards, David Bards at the time, and he it, it went in, and everyone was so shocked, apart from Trevor, because that was Trevor. <laughs> Trevor done stuff like that every day in training. Where my goal against Wolves. I did not do every day in training. I used to, like, we have to go and collect them balls from outside the training ground. So <laughs> that was my only kind of memory from that, Trev. But we, we had a good team spirit back in those days with oh, wow. Alan McDonald, who, who kind of paid up the money on the bus on the way home from Wolverhampton that day. And and I was very, very happy with that money. And me and Trev kind of went out on the night out and, and spent it probably in the first round. And any yeah. guilt, Trevor? Any guilt ripping off each <laughs> of goal of the season? Not really, not really. I've got to be honest, not really. Um, it, listen, it was obviously one of my, my best goals I've ever scored, but I'm pleased that Deeks brought up the uh, the situation that he'd seen me do that in training because it was something that, I don't, you, you talk about marquee moves that players have in today's game and, oh, he's got a great free kick on him or he's got a fantastic whip on a cross. That was something that I did in training week in, week out. And I think, one, because of the teammates I had, they would encourage it. Two, Jerry Francis was a superb manager and he was always encouraging you to express yourself. And three, it was just something that I kind of naturally naturally had in the locker. And um, yeah, I'm pleased that Deitch said that because it's quite difficult to, for me to say that 
oh yeah, I meant it. And it, you know, it weren't the first time I did that in training quite often to people that didn't train with me because they'll say, oh yeah, he's just showing off. But it is actually <laughs> something that I used to do quite a lot in training, isn't it, Deej? Yes, a lot. And I, I tried it a couple of times and that's why I think I had two back operations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you are, you are a lot taller than me, so you're coming yeah. down from a lot higher. Trev, you were involved in another great goal at West Ham when uh, I think you crossed the ball for Decanio for the goal of the season. He couldn't miss. Come he on, couldn't he miss. <laughs> he put it on a sixpence for That was a scissor kick, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was a scissor kick, yeah. Oh, no, it was wonderful. I was actually involved in the build-up for that, you know, Trev? Yeah. I rolled the ball out to to somebody. (laughs) Yeah. I remember Lomas taking, he was overlapping you, and I think he, I think he fucked you off when you went, when he overlapped, because you didn't give him the ball. (laughs) (laughs) You made a 40-yard run, and he was all pissed off, and then next thing I know, I was in the net, and I was like, oh, Yeah, but come on, you know what Lomas used to do? He used to just, like, try and have a heavy touch so he could top the the, the opponent, and then take him out of the game. Instead of using skill to go by him, he'd he'd have a heavy touch. Leave a little bit on him and get through him. Yeah. Uh, no, listen, Paolo, I mean, Craig, you know what it was like. Paolo was um, a rule to himself. You know, in training, if it weren't going his way, just boot the ball up in the air and walk off. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with a strop. And, but when he was on his game, he was literally one of the best players I ever played with. Fantastic guy off the pitch as well. I really got mm-hmm. on with him. Yeah. But that goal, I mean, you, for me talking about me trying scissor kicks, that was something that come naturally to me. The goal that he finished, I wouldn't have even tried that because it was something that, just looking at the angle of the ball and the trajectory of the ball, I don't even know how I would like, begin to try and work that out. And, you know, we talk about footballers understanding, you know, time and space. That's something that I would have had to bring down. So for me, that was an unbelievable finish and something that I, you know, I could never even attempt. Yeah, it was special. You know, we talk about West Ham, the characters in that dress room. I mean, oh, finished you know for five years straight in the top ten, yeah. And the characters were amazing. I mean, Harry Redknapp, starting with him as a manager, it was difficult for him to even manage a lot of those players. But he seemed to he seemed to like it, didn't he? He, he brought in yeah. you know when he brought in Razor and had to deal with John yeah. Moncur and Decanio yeah. and some really interesting characters. Yeah, listen, Ian Wright, John Arston, yeah. you know the list goes on. It was just mm-hmm. a ridiculous dressing room of pure egos really I think he, he used to just think right he's got a lot of um, confidence he's having himself let's get him in and kind of he'd, he'd bring the best out in the players and it was uh, similar to QPR I've got to say because probably the 10 years 5 years at, at, at QPR and 5 years at West Ham is where I played my best football and where I actually enjoyed the dressing rooms the most as well and uh, yeah fantastic decade in, in, in the capital and um Looking back at that West Ham team, though, the, the success we had, and, and we used to go out and party, and you know, to still finish top five one year, and uh, the amount of alcohol we must have drank that <laughs> year. It, listen, if we, it, maybe if we wouldn't have touched the job, we might have won the league, you know, but it was just it, both dressing rooms were outstanding, and um, yeah, it was, a, it was an absolute privilege to be part of both teams. Well, I remember when you came back, actually, Craig, because you were kind of in and out of the team with Shaka. And then you went and played in, I think it was the Gold Cup over in, uh, I'm not sure where it was in. Yeah, in the in, States, uh, yeah. It was in the States, yeah. yeah. And you come back and you was absolutely on flames. I don't know what you'd been taking, but you was a lot better. <laughs> yeah, what were you taking, Greg? He'd had, he'd, had a glass of, he'd had a glass of confidence and he'd come back. That's and exactly different it. Different class. Yeah. Different class. And that's like, I've got to say, that's got one of the best like goalkeeping times 
that I played in front of, just the confidence and the, the sheer audacity of you, like keeping clean sheet after clean sheet, and mm. the transformation was amazing. You know, we did have a good group of keepers too, right? When I came here, Ludic McCloskey, legend. Yeah. You know, David James yeah. spent some time there, of course. Shaka, brilliant, great yeah. character, great great teammate all in all it was brilliant I should have to quickly tell about the story about um, our club has been touched certainly West Ham from testicular cancer um, oh my John God. Hartson myself uh, yeah uh, the young lad there too as well but I remember the last day I, I had uh, it was a Monday morning I had to go for my scan remember the dressing was full it was after training you were lying yeah. there getting a massage from Rupert who uh, was he Lennox Lewis's Father-in-law, I think he was, right? Uh, yeah, I think he was. I mean, listen, he had the he had the biggest sausage fingers you've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> he was so powerful, and and yeah, he was. I mean, he was. A, it was a great massage, but he was allergic to oil, yeah, so his hands were all crusty <laughs> and like bleeding. And it was like, Rook, what's going on? So they ended up spending some more money. Remember, getting some oil that didn't actually. Uh, he wasn't allergic to, which yeah, was kind of nuts, right? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, anyway, but I remember that day quite, quite prominently. Yeah, Dave, when you came in, it was it was a really difficult, difficult time for you, wasn't it? It, it was, of course, uh, but everything worked out um, uh, positively, and you know it has done for many people. Uh, but I remember coming in the dress room. You were getting a rub from Rupert, and you, I said, I'm going for a scan today uh, for uh, my balls, and you had said, Whoa, I, I'd actually had a scan. A few days before, because you had had something wrong with one of your testicles, and uh, I remember you're lying there, and uh, I was I had your testicle in my hand, and you had mine. We had a little cupping session. We had a little cupping session, and I was like, "Hey, Trev, yours feels nothing like mine." He's like, yeah. "Nothing like mine yeah. either." So, hence, he had the lucky bump and I had the unlucky bump yeah well and the other difference was mine were full and yours were empty because I was married and, and you that's what they told you when they had to scan eh? it was just full yeah, yeah. Full. full full yeah but it all worked full out well and... I've been with her 25 years a poor girl but uh, <laughs> no listen it was it was good that you went for that that test because obviously it's, it's well a that's it for, and it, you know it is it, and... it is a huge problem Trev you know it's a fast growing cancer in men and mm. uh, you know I think you know we were lucky enough to be in a position where we were comfortable enough to go see somebody talk about yeah. it cup each other and do whatever and uh, right so you know guys should be comfortable enough to you know if there's something wrong with their testicle uh, to go get it checked out yeah, I think it's amazing, actually, really. That's important. I mean, the fact that obviously you're, you're good mates, teammates, but th- there was no ego or testosterone, no. so to speak. Inv- no. like, you know what? There's an issue here. This could be very serious. Yeah. And, and that's no really back in those days, Sean. I think that's the yeah. problem with men, especially in that era. We wouldn't talk to each other. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd uh, bottle things up and we, we'd try and deal with our own problems. But I think now with the mental health issues, I think a lot more people, a lot more men especially, you know, starting to express what what they're going through and, and getting help, and I think it's it's great because back in the day, because of our egos and because of our, the way we were brought up to be tough and you know resilient and never like look like we had a weakness. I think that went with it. I think now, you know, kids, the players now, they're not so resilient and and they're much more uh, willing to go and get help and speak about issues that they've got. So, yeah, more, more praise for that. Trev, on, on another kind of issue that's going on at the moment in, in our sport, and uh, I want you to speak from personal experience as well, growing up as a, a young boy in, in Manchester and then mm. moving to Blackpool um, through your, your academy days. Um, 
this racism thing's not going away in our sport. And I know you've been a big no. a big backer of Raheem Sterling, and he's been kind of helped along the way. But now he's actually um, come out even with the press and the media who have been actually pretty hard on him in the last three or four years. But now they're starting yeah. to come around and saying he's one of the most influential black um, players within not only the UK, but the world right now. And uh, there's another incident yesterday with, with Balotelli who nearly walked off yeah. the field. And just tell us from, from your experience growing up in, in Blackpool, in Lancashire, which there wasn't a lot of black people around in, in the early days, was there? Even no. when you were growing up and then having to come down to London and... You know, I, I spent a lot of time with you and, and you helped me along the way. I grew up in a Caribbean area in, in West London. But um, even from your Moss side days growing up and then, as you said, moving to Blackpool, moving to QPR, big city, was it tougher back then or do you still think it's as tough now for, for a black player playing in the league? I think it's different. I think, you know, back in the day, if someone called you something, they'd call you something mm. and uh, they'd probably want a reaction. Uh, I've had it many times and... I was lucky because I went. I won a scholarship to boarding school, as you know, Deech, and um, I went to, for two years living in a boarding school, getting coached by Dave Sexton, Mike Keller, yep. with great players like Andy Cole, Gary Flitcroft, Chris Makin, you know, Ian Walker. So many players went on to play for the country from that two-year period, 14 to 16 years old. So we had a bit more resilience about us. We, understa- we understood that kind of ethnic difference. We were living amongst each other, white guys, black guys, Asian guys, in, that, in them two England squads. So for me, when I came out and I started playing for Blackpool and I had the banana thrown on the pitch and, you know, the experienced players saying, you know, hit the, hit the black guy, but not in them words. Um, it, I feel like I had the tools to deal with it, although it was still unacceptable. I thought I had the tools to deal with that. Now, going, you know, you, I, I accepted it. It was just part of the society at the time. Yeah. But you thought society had moved on. I just think it's been brushed under the carpet and it's a little bit more sly now. And and now it's starting to rear its ugly head again. Uh, I feel like really inspirational, influential people like Raheem, like Balotelli, they've got to be they've got to be leaders for us, you know, and they've got to try and try and um, you know pick, when someone says something or does something, they've got to bring them up on it. Yes. And just going back, you know, for, for me, it's the the most upsetting thing is obviously I've got I've got I've got four sons three of whom who play football. Um, and for me to think that they may, you know, experience racism in the 21st century, it's just, that is the most depressing, sad thing. Um, but it, it, listen, it's not going away. And, it, you know, I, I feel it's it's the federations that have got to deal with this, as well as the players. I think the federations yeah. have got to start being a much harsher with their well, fines. We, we give a lot of stick. Nations. We give a lot of stick to Balotelli with his with his immature behaviour, but I have to yeah. I have to give him a lot of credit because mm, the way absolutely. he's dealt with racism and he, he's played in Italy. The stuff coming out of Verona this 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 weekend That's has crazy. been absolutely the, the, ridiculous. The, the manager the of Verona, and the Verona. Um, Ivan Juric, says that there was nothing no, racist. And, and he denies it. You got to remember, this is mm. a, a, a young black guy that's grown up in Italy, which is a predominantly yeah. white uh, country. They're still stuck yeah. in their ways in Italy. Not everyone, but the majority are still stuck in their ways. He's had no support mm. from the federation, so I actually think he's done a good job so far. But he hasn't had the support of. I'm not talking about the federations, but the clubs he's played for and also I the mean, players that he's played with, like Panucci last yeah. year. I thought that was so. disgraceful. Even, even, yesterday, even yesterday, when he was trying to walk off, his teammates were dragging him to say, don't walk off. Yeah. I was thinking, if you respected Balotelli 
and you you actually cared for him and knew that he was you know taking this racist abuse, yeah. you'd be like, leave Let's him, go. let him go. Mm-hmm. I'll go with him. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That's backing your teammates. And yeah, I didn't it, see that yesterday. But I agree, again, Trevor. I think, it's, I think it's engraved into into the society in it. Mm-hmm. Not just not all people, but you know, especially a lot a lot in Europe. Definitely in England, because you know, it's all right pointing fingers. We've got problems in, in in our own country that we have to deal with. But I think as a whole, the federations, UEFA, FIFA, they've got to be stronger. They've got to start banning nations, banning teams. Mm-hmm. And they'll soon stop doing it. They'll soon stop allowing these racists to go into the stadiums and support a club or pretend they're supporting a club yeah. just so they can hurl racist abuse. Well, you're right, Trevor. And it's, it's about the other players, too, supporting it. I don't see enough yeah. of the white players going, hey, you know, this is freaking unacceptable. I'm going to yeah. walk off with them. Because once the yeah. players start walking off, then that's when the federations and the people well, and the authorities are going to start. They're going to be forcing them to do something. Because Absolutely. as you know, they find people for... If you come up with a sponsorship that's not in line with FIFA or Europe, you'll get fined way more than you will do with any kind of racial comment. Can I tell you what I think is a problem? I think the players know that it's a certain racist element going on in the grounds. I think they're scared to upset their own fans or the fans within the stadium. I think they know what's going on. It's going to take someone brave, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think Balotelli, you know, he's never been one who's shy of coming forward or, you know, no, showing no. his opinions. But he needs support. And I think he's been really brave there. He needs support. He well, needs we saw the, uh, the, I think it was a Haringey match in the FA Cup uh, last yeah, month. Yeah, they, they, yeah. They walked off the pitch. It was great and it's good for them, but you need that big name to make a, yeah. you know, a global statement, sadly, and just, right? And just Bello going will be back there. on that, something happened in, in, in the summer, uh, in pre-season with, with QPR, our former club, Deitch. Yeah. And... Um, you know, Les, uh, and I think Mr. Who's, who's the, who's the, who's the director there, um, came out and, and made a complaint in writing to UEFA, to FIFA, and it's been 10 weeks now, and it was, it was all over the, the news over here a couple of days ago, and none of them have yet replied. You know, the, the whole team, the QPR team, walked off the pitch because of the racism that was going on. I'm not sure if it was on the pitch or off the pitch, and they've made the complaint in writing through the, the correct channels, and UEFA and FIFA have still not done anything about it. Second. And I think that's where you've got to look to the problem. And now you look at, you look at QPR. They've, they've got Tony Fernandez, who's, who's from uh, Asia. You look at Les, obviously, he, he's Afro-Caribbean. There's empathy there in the boardroom. And that's why when they see their players receiving this kind of racist abuse, they've got sympathy, they've got empathy, they understand it. Now, this is the problem with UEFA and FIFA because there's not enough diversity in the boardroom. Mm. Now, unless you get that, you're not going to get the empathy, the understanding, and nothing's going to get done. That's a great point. Uh, For example, the Bulgaria match last month, you know, we we all saw that, how how sickening it was. One match stadium ban, one match suspended sentence, and an 85,000 euro fine. That's what they got for it. Yeah, Yeah, it's a big deal. You know what? Sometimes if you, if you get the odd couple or a group of four who've gone in there, um, had a bit of drink or whatever, and they just decide that they're going to hurl abuse, you can't really stop that. But this was an organised, huge amount. We're talking hundreds who had gone there primarily to racistly abuse England players. You know them guys that are going in with a ball in black, with the hoods, standing together in the in, in the area where they sing in, in the stadium. They're going for one reason. Now, that's why I feel there's accountability for Bulgaria, because they need to deal with that. And, 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 and not dealing with it is kind of either it's promoting it or it's trying to pretend there's not a problem. Yeah, yep. great, great point. It's a, it's a sad 
point we're at in the game. We know, like you said, we, yeah. we thought it was improving, but but clearly it's not. Um, listen, Trevor, almost out of time here, but I want to get to. Um, are you still playing? Because according to I, the wiki page, Squires Gate and <laughs> uh, was it Northern Conference? I oh, forgive me. You gotta forgive me where where it is. But you, are you still playing? I I played a, basically. It's always been a dream of mine. I was quite a young dad. I had um, Reese when I was twenty, which is my oldest son. He doesn't play football. But then I had Isaac, who's my second oldest son, and he's he's just turned eighteen. But a couple of years ago, he got released off uh, Blackpool as a, as a, as a apprentice, like before he got his apprenticeship. And he, he, we started an academy f- for him and his teammates, and it's going really strong. He started playing men's football when he was 16 because the college league that he was playing in wasn't strong enough. Now, I thought it was a great opportunity for me to be able to achieve another ambition that's play on the same t- pitch in the same side as my son. So I registered for the team. I trained with them uh, <laughs> once or twice a week. And, uh, yeah, I got on the pitch. Just And it wasn't really for me. It was just for, for me it's for me able to say, you know what, I played in the same. And I actually set him up and he's so unselfish <laughs> that he cut, in, he cut inside and laid it to his mate who skied. And I was thinking, <laughs> it's what we do in the garden. You know, he's like, yeah. the kids are five years old. Sinclair to Sinclair to Sinclair. <laughs> no! Nice. And he passed it, the idiot. But no, that was that was that was the, that was the main reason. But uh, listen, I love coaching. I've got my UA for A. I know you have the. I'm not sure yeah. what you're doing, Craig. But I love passing on my knowledge to young players. You know, just tiny little details where you'll tell them di- different bits and bobs. You'll you'll demo it, and then you'll see them go and execute that in a game, and it and, and they're successful with it. And you just think I'm passing something on that, and that's one of the greatest rewarding feelings you can have as a coach. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Deitch, any uh, ambitions to get on the field with your boys at some point? I mean, you're really old, you're broken down. Yeah. But... <laughs> oh, Deitch is back. He's, I, he's I, can't, I can't feel my ankles in the morning when I wake up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let me ask you, actually, Trevor, ask, last question, okay, quickly. Out of Deitch and, and, and Craig, right, former teammates of yours, which one was a better teammate? <laughs> oh, my oh, that's God. A harsh, that's <laughs> a harsh question, that's huh? Well, I would, um, I would say Deitch. <laughs> I've got. I, well, Deitch is closer to you. Live closer. Yeah, when I was when I was playing for QPR, I was younger. Um, we went out drinking a lot more and, and socialising. And Deitch taught me how to DJ. Uh, yep, fantastic yeah. DJ. I'm not sure you know about that. Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. Tells, tells us all the time. Uh, <laughs> no, then, when he, then he went DJ. to West Ham. We were but a little he, more professional. We had a, yeah. yeah, we had a fantastic <laughs> relationship. But listen, love Craig to bits. You know, we always had a great relationship with all my teammates and Craig was no different and yeah I'm just pleased that both you guys are healthy you know you're still enjoying the game and you know you're far away but you know one day maybe you can invite me out there 100% anytime yeah there's a chair on footy prime for you anytime mate anytime (laughs) yeah you can't pay you but but, uh... we don't pay well but (laughs) (laughs) that's all right I'll do it for beers (laughs) we could do that that's a struggle as well (laughs) (laughs) hey Trevor thank you so much this mate we'd love to get you back on at some point I want to get into the uh, 2002 World Cup at some point and Sven and all that there's so much to talk to you about but but thanks so much for joining us thanks Trev send love to all the family as well thanks buddy love to everyone love to Claire and the kids bye mate Bye. bye 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 that is Trevor Sinclair a uh, great great chat and uh, obviously uh, a good teammate of both of yours and a really really good player we, mm. we should you know remind the audience just how good he was I remember back in 02 I mentioned the World Cup there England just couldn't find that left winger right and, and Trevor came on the scene in the World Cup and finally a real winger because Sid yeah. wasn't playing real wingers there right and you know obviously you know wasn't the best of World Cups for, for England we know that but a very very good player in his day tricky Trev. He was a powerful winger, 
a little bit different than your usual kind of small winger that kind of got out people people got players got fullbacks he was great at driving inside he whipped in a lovely cross and he could score the the exquisite goal like we were speaking about earlier but a, a, an excellent teammate a very big character within the the change rooms the locker rooms that we both played for mm-hmm. um and he he would say his piece as well and that's what I think people enjoyed about him he was very honest very open he would tell you how it is but he'd put your arm around uh his shoulder to to come mm-hmm. for you as well and I learned a lot off of Trevor even though he was a couple of years older than me I learned a lot off him when I was in my younger days at QPR yeah great teammate Really, really good. Now, all in all, really balanced. And even when he talks about what he had to deal with as far as racism goes, you know, he said he had the tools to deal with it. Like, really difficult for these types, you know, the players coming in, uh, black players to deal with it. Even when you're born in England, coming through that system, you're just kind of coming up culturally. But um, you need to have that. But all around, fun, has empathy. You know, he, he you talks know, about, excellent. you know, the, the social side of the game back then as well. And, you know, not not to you know, champion getting pissed up with your teammates per se, but let's champion getting pissed up with your teammates, shall we? <laughs> um, it did bring teams together, right? Do you think teams nowadays lack that a little bit? Within reason. Within reason. Uh, it's different. Um, but I used to think that, I mean, when I moved to West Ham, I actually stayed in the Ipswich area. So traveling back and forth for me if I was a manager I would tell players you have to live within a half an hour of this it's just the driving weighs too much and as well as you don't spend enough time with the players you know you come to training you're straight out and you, you leave and you start heading back home so uh, having players in the area so when I was at Ipswich small community um, all the players 99% of them were British and uh 99% of them like drinking. Yeah, it's a cultural thing. It was a cultural thing, yeah. But we had a lot of fun. But you'd really, really, when you went into a game, fight for the guy next to you like because you really cared about him in more ways than just being a teammate. So, yeah, that helped for me. Well, we spoke about this a couple of times already, about having those teams that either are in a small town or a, a big town, but yeah. most of the players, 95% of the players, lived within that community. And that meant so much off of, off of the pitch as well, whether it be the wives going out together, the wives socialising together, the kids socialising together, the players. Um, we At Sunderland, Peter Reid used to make us eat at least twice a week because we didn't have these fancy training grounds that we see now where we would go out for a team meal in the afternoon and we would have the day off the next day. But it, it brought so much camaraderie within that group and you actually learnt about certain players that you maybe didn't click with in, in the changing room or on the field too much, but when you actually spent some time with them, whether they be a foreign player that's come in from, from a, a different country, obviously, but or another player that's come from a different club, and you don't know too much about their personal life or their likes and interests, you start to gravitate towards them once you have a common mm-hmm. interest. Together, mm-hmm. But you also, as you said, show some empathy when you're out on the field with them. You would do anything to support your teammate and to get that result, whether you were coming off the bench, whether that person was coming off the bench, whether they were not in the squad that day, they would all be there to support you and try and and have that one goal when getting a result and either trying to get your team as high in, in the table as possible or getting promoted to the Premier League. We had some fantastic teams that, that I played for and some, some great team spirit on those the, teams. The foreigners usually got it's just eyes were like deers in the headlights when they used to go out and see right. the shenanigans. Yeah. They couldn't believe. It. I mean, I mean, not not, not to criticise them because when they came over, they brought an element of professionalism that oh, yeah. that the league needed as well. Mm-hmm. 
So, did, I mean, were you blown away by the foreign players? Like, you, you do what? You, yeah. you act this way? You're this professional? You eat this? Did that? Were you bright-eyed and wow as well? Well, I mean, coming from Canada and playing with a national team here and traveling around, I sort of knew that, but I, right. I sort of knew what I was getting into. I mean, I was 16 when I went to England, so I kind of understood it, but it was it was certainly good viewing, watching likes of Romeo's Honor Man come over from Holland and <laughs> even just going for breakfast to a greasy spoon, right? You know, the lady, <laughs> full English. The lady's got a, yeah, she's delivering the full English. She's got a, a cigarette bag hanging in her mouth and, and she drops a Drop piece some of ash. toast. <laughs> yeah, toast on the table with ash and just puts it back on Romeo's plate and it's like, yeah, Romeo, that's uh, yeah. Welcome to Jack's calf. <laughs> Talking about foreigners, you told me a story once with, with Harry Redknapp and a foreign player, I think it was a Romanian player that was in the squad one one weekend and they couldn't find him. That's right. And they called him or texted him and he was in Harrods or something with his wife yeah, shopping. Yeah, that's right. Who is that? that? Not Boogers. Uh, there's, there was a few. It was, uh, oh, no, it was a Portuguese guy. Yeah. Oh, I wish we had Trevor on still. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Harry, yeah. He was in the squad. Apparently, he was in the squad. He picked the roster and he hasn't turned up for the game. So they've urgently trying to get hold of him to get to Upton Park. Where where are you? You're missing and you've got lost, whatever. He's called him yeah. up, apparently. Harry, he's like, where are you? I, think was, yeah. I can't remember. Well, I tell you one of those, what, Javier Margas. Ch- remember, it's a Chilean guy, Javier Margas. Yeah. He, he never really settled. Uh, good player, played in the World Cup for Chile. Uh, comes to West Ham. His wife didn't speak any English. She really didn't settle, so she wanted to go back to Chile. And... Uh, he he was in the, the hotel, uh, the Swallow Hotel, uh, just off the uh, yeah. M25 there. And uh, so Harry and Frank Lampard Sr. were going to go have a chat to him and try to settle him down. And he was already made up his decision. He's going yeah. back. So they go into the room. He's on the second floor. They're knocking on the door. Meanwhile, he jumps out the second floor window. No way. Oh, yeah. never. And he, and he jumped out the window. It never so they, they saw him jump out the window. <laughs> they get in the room. He's got his gear. Never saw him again. Went to the airport. Flew off back to Chile. Had enough. Had enough. Had he been to Jack's Cafe? <laughs> no, no. That was in Ipswich. Oh, okay. Ipswich, okay. Yeah. Maybe he should have been to Jack's Yeah, Cafe. maybe. Yeah. Well, around, around East Ham, there's some... Yeah, dodgy cafes. Dodgy. Nice playing mesh around there, though. Oh. But no matter what, I mean, whatever level you play it, there's a camaraderie in teams. We know that. And, and I think we saw that this weekend for, for both sets of teams in the uh, Everton Spurs game. The Andre Gomez injury. Just just dreadful. Yeah. Dreadful injury, and uh, you know you saw Hung Min Sung crying. He was sent off, which was ludicrous. It wasn't a red card offence. It was how Gomez planted his ankle and twisted it. Just awful. And even Serge Aurier had to leave the game soon after. Couldn't continue. Yeah. Do you have any similar experiences, like awful injuries that just affected perhaps both teams on the, on the pitch? Yeah, I remember uh, Phil Whelan, big centre back uh, at Ipswich. He was going to block across. Pitch was dry, looked crusty, and trying to lunge in, and he planted his boots and his studs got caught in the ground and his ankle rolled his tibia fibia went oh. his knee went it was just it was just it was right in front of me and it was just the most gruesome thing i had ever seen on the field um and yeah it does play a part certainly and then you know are you then just not i mean obviously you're a goalkeeper but are, are you're not going quite as hard into challenges for the next few minutes or i are you moving on pretty quickly though? It, it, you have to move on, obviously, because that's your job and you have to you know, do your job. But it, it does affect you for sure and the well-being of the player, wondering whether that player will ever 
you know, just worth looking about his health and getting back. Fortunately, again. I've never ever seen a, an injury like that on the field. I've been very fortunate. So I've seen people knocked out or kind of lose consciousness, but never in in that mode. I mean, we go back to the David Boost injury at Old Trafford. That yeah, was, Coventry, right? Uh, for Coventry, yeah, that's ninety six. That uh, terrible. Like, yeah. it, and I go back to the to the injury at the weekend. I really feel that the referee kind of got caught up in the emotions. I mean. When you're looking at it from the TV, you can even see the crowd. There's like a couple of women in the front row and they recognize what's going on and they see the horrific injury and they're actually in bits as well. And you see the likes of of Sun emotionally breaking down and it's a really unfortunate thing to see. And I agree with you, Shams. I don't think it was a sending off. Um, the referee's given a yellow straight away and I think he's seen what the injury uh, has, has kind of ended up in where a fracture to the ankle and it's horrific how he's turned the other way the the leg and I think he's got caught up in the emotions the, mm-hmm. the players as well from Everton there's a couple of players that are in his face saying that's a red card look at his ankle and I don't mm-hmm. think they helped as well what I did like uh, I was reading the, the post-match comments is that Seamus Coleman went into the Spurs locker room afterwards the change room and, and was consoling Son because apparently he knows Son, all about it. He knows all about it. He's had a, a horrific injury as well, and no player in their right mind wants to see a fellow uh, teammate or opponent end up with an injury like Is that. Is that? See, I want to ask you about that because I agree. I mean, very very few players will want to actually intentionally hurt someone, but there must have been some players you knew were out to get you. Especially yeah, back in the, early, in the days. early early nineties, there was players that wanted it to 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 hurry. I mean, I remember playing in a game against Sheffield United, and Neil Warnock's on the sideline shouting to Keith Curl, "Break his legs, break his legs." <laughs> and sometimes that was a normal thing back in in the late eighties, nineties, just to to kind of impose themselves or scare tactics, whatever we yeah. call it over here. But that's why the game, when you look at the game and the likes of Diego Maradona and. The team talks, anybody playing against Maradona, our team talks would be get into him right yeah. away. Yeah. Put one into him. See if he can deal with it. Yeah. Because you knew he weren't going to get sent off for a nasty challenge. Right. Maybe so he, a booking. He did his thing despite people trying to break, literally trying to break his right. leg. Right. Yeah. Which kind of just raises the, the legend of Maradona, Pele, oh, yeah. different era, right? And so we can criticize the way the game's gone in some regards, but that's not football. That's not sport when you're literally trying to break someone's legs. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. No. And even we spoke to Trevor today, he, he was kind of isolated at times as well, where he was a tricky winger, he was a, a game changer, and for sure opponents, head coaches, managers would, would really try and give the information that we have to stop their main playmakers as best as we can, whether it be through a heavy challenge or going through the back of, of players back in, in the early 90s, late 80s. Going through the back of a, a striker or a winger wasn't even a yellow card. It was just a warning from yeah. the referee, hey, oh, don't do that again. Now it's obviously vilified a lot more. We have all these cameras, we have VAR, but we have referees that are trying to stop or stamp out that dangerous tackle that can end a player's career. Like, And I go back to Sun's tackle. It was a forwards tackle in chasing back in trying to help out his team defensively. It wasn't malicious in any way. As you said, Gomez has planted his foot. Aurier's come in, a, in an, an awkward kind of collision as well, and I think that's added to the pressure put on the leg that Gomez has planted into the, the ground. 
I think looking back on it, the the FA may rescind the card. I don't think Son is going to appeal against it because he's just emotionally caught up in mm-hmm. what's going on with Gomez now. So that's unfortunate. And Son is not that mm-hmm. kind of player anyway. No, he's definitely I mean, he's, not. He's, that he plays the game with a smile on his face. Yeah. Right. And generally speaking, we talk about the game the way it was. It's better now. Um, I think so. It, yeah. Well, te- the technical players are able to uh, play. And uh, back in those days, there's several of them now wouldn't be able to play. They wouldn't be able to handle that sort yeah. of physicality. Um, but it's better to watch now. You see the... It's the know, hockey the, syndrome, wasn't it? Yeah. Where yeah. The big bruises are out of it now. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, exactly. The, the, yeah, the game's changing. The game's changed. Mm-hmm. Teams the, like the Leafs, for example, are going pure skill and speed. Now, yeah. whether it's going to work out or not, we're going to find out, right? But yeah. uh, certainly, yeah. the day of the goons, end of the bench, getting a tap on the shoulder, that, that's gone. Mm-hmm. And maybe football in the same, not quite the same extent, obviously, but it's changing. Same. Yeah, it, yeah right. It is. And then, like the Leafs in hockey, everybody talks about when the push comes to shove, then you talk about, again, the character. You go back to that. You need the a little grit. bit of grit. Yeah. They need some more grit. You need some grit. And even when you look at the, the Man Cities and the Manchester Uniteds of back in the day and the Arsenals, and like they, they all they had that as well. Balance, right? Balance. We're talking about grit. Balance. We're, we're speaking about the MLS Cup final this weekend. Yeah. Toronto yeah. have showed a lot of grit in getting through to Incredible the Incredible character, where let's be honest. A lot of people wrote them off early on in the playoffs, Mm-hmm. But people within the club, myself included, know, knew that once they had the, the momentum going into the playoffs, that they could go all the way. And they've proved that with the missing of two players, influential players in Josie and, and Omar. Maybe but, that's what makes it so special, this one, is that yeah. unexpected. Yeah. They can, you know, MLSE is quite happy to pay the money for the design, uh, designated players. But they didn't have any of that. You know, Giovinco's gone. Altador's injured. No Vasquez. And then you just had a bunch of players that gritted, grinded, found a way. Lay goals. To, <laughs> and lay goals. And it's, uh, it's been really impressive. I've, I've actually really watched it. I mean, they haven't been electrifying displays of football by them by any stretch. But there's different ways to win football games, and you have to be able to find them. So credit to Greg Vanny as well. He was under a lot of pressure part, different parts of the season, so he's uh, managed to get to the Yeah, there's the eight-game winless streak, and he was on the way out. If you yeah. read the message boards, and they're never wrong. Yeah. And then he, he's turned it around all because of his lucky scarf. <laughs> but you have to remember as well, at that part of the season, we had a lot of players missing. Toronto had a lot of players missing. Gold Cup was on as well. Right. So everyone within the club... I think Greg will allude to this as well. Knew that once everyone was back from from the Gold Cup, they added a couple of really nice pieces in the off season. Nick DeLeon, Richie Larry has coming and done a, a really good job. Um, but there's a lot of unsung heroes mm-hmm. in the team as well. Goal we spoke keeper. about uh, Q Westberg, who's done a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of vets and experience in that team as well that maybe are not starting like Drew Moore, but will help the younger players, will help the, the players within the squad, give them that advice and that information to push them on. And there's a, a real sense of, of of team spirit where we're speaking about the character has really pushed this group on. And as you said, sometimes we can speak about Liverpool and Man City attacking at flair and playing at the full guns blazing. TFC haven't played full guns blazing yet, but mm-hmm. they've won games. They've showed great grit. They're very organized. They've gone to Atlanta, picked up the result. They've gone to New York City, who won the, the league this year, picked up the result. And now they find themselves in the final against a very good team, Seattle. Again, at home. isn't that getting a bit boring? No. Nope. Seattle again. First Jesus time in four Christ. years. This, shows, uh, this is the rubber, like right? It. This is the rubber. Yep. 1 1, lost one each in the final. That's right. 
Full House at Seattle. You'll I'll be, be there, there next weekend. Yep. Yeah. Supporting the Reds. Nice. Yeah, I, I love seeing a guy like Marco Delgado. You know, yeah, who I, 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 did, I did his first game uh, when at Sportsnet we were covering TFC, and you know that was a few years ago now. And now yeah. he's a veteran with, with, with already a championship under his belt, and he's again a key contributor. I, I love that kind of story. Should talk about the CPL final. A hundred percent. That was next on the list here, Craig. Thanks for reminding well, there we me. Go. Yep, yep. <laughs> we're going to talk Forge, about the CPL Bobby Smyniardos and Forge. Bit of an upset in the end, beating Cavalry. Probably, although they were very good this season too. Um, basically, Calgary, Calvary, and uh, Forge were the two best teams right out of the gates, um, and they did really well. Um, Tommy Wilden, we had him on here last week, uh, won the fall season, won the spring season, and f- fell short. But uh, credit Forge, uh, you know, that, that was really impressive. They, they should have put it out of reach in the first leg. Could have sort of hit the crossbar three times and could have been mm-hmm. three or four up. And then left Calvary an opportunity back home. Strong field, sellout, great atmosphere. Not the greatest game of football. The pitch didn't help either. But to to do that after that as well, it was a boost having Borges back in after they received Huge, the red yeah, card. Yeah. Which that was helped. that the right call, do you think? Yes. Yeah. 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 It wasn't violent conduct. I don't blame the referee either. I think it was just one of those cases where he thought he saw some violent conduct. He got an elbow to the head. The neck right at the same time. I mean, I understand why he may have kicked out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but overall, the season was good. I thought it was a terrific first year. The standard, Danny, was much better than I mm-hmm. thought. Um, the teams did really well. It gave the opportunities for players and referees and coaches to, to you know, get uh, put at their trade at, uh, at task there. And, and I thought it's excellent. And, you know, we're talking about other leagues a lot, but. You know this league's going to grow, and it's the yep. first year, but it's it's our league. No, it's, t- it's our league, and exactly. It's, it's, uh, and Tommy was on last week uh, and speaking about maybe some new expansion teams coming in. Has there been any news on that yet? Has there been any? No, I know Saskatoon yeah. had a lot of support at the game. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. it was great to watch. Actually. I was out in Saskatoon um, about three months ago. We took our uh, younger group out there, U19s, to play an exhibition game. And they have a really nice setup there. Uh, Joe Bellin is there, yeah. um, who's trying to help out and push through. Um, I went to the, the X at the Saskatoon Fairgrounds, which was a, an experience in itself. <laughs> but um, there's some really good people there, and they're trying to push uh, soccer through there. So maybe that is yeah. uh, a, a a good example where maybe they can get another team out close to the West. Yeah. We'll get somebody on when uh, Joe would come on the show. Yeah, we'll talk about that show. and yeah. see where. No, we'll get a lot of CPL uh, I think content moving forward because mm. you know all those all those coaches from Stephen Hart to Rob Gale to Tommy Wilden, they, they've all done a great job promoting and selling the sport as well, which is part of the mandate yeah. when they came in, and yeah. they're all well spoken, have yeah. a bit of charisma. And uh, my Stephen Hart's one of my favorite people in football. You know, yeah. back in the day when he was coaching Canada, he gave us all the time in the world at the score. Yeah, great you know? guy. Yeah, all yeah. of them, right to, to the man. They're they're great individuals doing the right thing for the league, doing the right things for their communities. And it's uh, like I said, it's been a great first year and a good rivalry brewing as well, right? If you think about it, with Forge and, mm. and Cavalry. Well, with only many seven miles, teams of, many in miles the apart, where they play seven, seven, well, nine games, I think, in the row. Yeah. Or in the end, they played all season. So. Some of the schedules are brutal. Yeah, Halifax. so you're playing anybody that many times, you're not going to like them. Yeah, exactly. Simple, right? Let's get oh. let's get the Ottawa Fury in there as well, can we? Please, just get over this nonsense. Mm. They should be, a good be there. Addition, yeah, they should be there. Hundred percent. I think it'll happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we leave, very quickly, I want to mention this because I didn't get a chance to. But that that Jorginho pass mm. to the Tammy Abraham. In the Chelsea match uh, against Watford today, my uh, on on Saturday, my God, past the season, wasn't it? 
fantastic pass. And I think it was a little bit tactical as well because when you can see Watford and you've obviously scouted them within the first 10 minutes, they try to put pressure on the opponents. They, they, they step high with their two centre-backs and you can see Tammy Abraham just drifting in between them. And the ball is laid back to Jorginho and he has a quick look and he bends the ball around the two centre-backs and Tammy's on his, on his toes and he finishes superbly. But we speak about tactical now. So Jorginho has been a, a fantastic, fantastic addition this year to Lampard's group, who are a young group. And we all know Jorginho was Sadi's guy. He was his cog that... that at Napoli. At didn't really Napoli, work out last at year. Chelsea, he, he, he kept playing him even though... People were saying Kante needs to play in there, but he's really fitted into Lampard's system, well and, and Lampard's doing not bad. He's not, you know, he, he might be good, right? Bad. He yeah. might be good. Well, I think he's got the right tools for sure, um, right mentality for it. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, results uh, are everything, and that club don't mess around with yeah. anybody when it comes <laughs> and to. They're, they're talking about the, the greatest managers in the world. They're talking about the transfer um, embargo being lifted in January now. They're appealing against that. So maybe mm. maybe they can bring in some some yeah. heavy artillery to help out, but do they really need I'm going to say it's like, working really well. The young players bring in a big striker and then Tammy sits on the bench. Right, exactly. Tammy's mm-hmm. like up there top scorers in the Premier League now. Would he be getting that chance if Chelsea had this transfer embargo lifted. You look at Mason Mount, who's got himself into the England team now. Yep. Look at Pulisic. Well, scoring yeah. goals. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, the Canadian boy yeah. at the back t- tomorrow. Yeah. You know, okay, he's not Canadian. He's chosen to play for England now, but you, you uh, grew up <laughs> yeah. in Calgary, was it? Yeah. And Could you imagine if, he, if Canada had him playing at the back? They win the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> hey, never know. But they... I mean, well, that don't. would that would be such an <laughs> brilliant added addition to talk about balance of yeah. the Indian national team at front to back. That would just be a brilliant. But it really would. It really would. I guess that's the job of the association to try to make well, sure that these guys come and play. Uh, so Bayern fired Kovac this uh, this weekend yes. as well. So I wonder how that affects Alfonso Davis, who's played who's playing three games three, in a row. Now. Yeah, and not all yeah. at left back yeah. <laughs> as well. Interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. All right, guys, we're out of time. That was a, a really fun show. This weekend, as I mentioned, Man City play Liverpool. You can join Craig and myself, courtesy Footy Talks and Homestand Sports, at the Rec Room as of 11 a.m. Eastern. It's a free admission. There will be, though, a, a great lunch to be served with some pints. Please join us. We'll hang around and do a little panel and talk about the MLS Cup Final as well. Or just MLS Cup, I should say. Sorry. Just seems more natural saying Cup Final. Sounds better. But MLS Cup. These will be there, of course. I'm sure in an uh, ambassadorial role, right? Support a role. Support a role. No punts for you, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's this Sunday, though, so uh, please please join us. Uh, once again, please follow us on Twitter, footy underscore prime. Instagram, it's footy prime podcast, as it is on Facebook. As always, you can find us on deanblundell.com. I'll be on uh, Dean's podcast this Friday talking all things footy prime Maybe a bit of football and God knows what else. No, and that podcast is a ton of fun, though. It really is. Uh, our thanks again to Eggplant and producer Dan Wong. Woohoo! Whoop, whoop. Who doesn't love me? <laughs> no one doesn't love you. Everybody it's good English. Dan. No one doesn't love you. Our thanks to Trevor Sinclair, by the way. Great guest. We're getting back on once again. So thank you so much, everyone. Cheers for listening. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 